Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. If I had the ability to take care of guns, I would. But the legislature won't let us. The U.S. Congress won't let us. Um, the governor does the best that he can. Our attorney general does the best that he can. But this is a gun country. It's crazy. We're the most armed country in the world history, and we're one of the least safest. So, you know, until Americans decide that they want to give up the guns and give up the opportunity to get guns, we're going to have this problem. That's the mayor of Philadelphia. Jim Kenney is his name. This, uh, a guy who danced and cheered when Philadelphia became a sanctuary city, railing about lawful gun ownership, railing about uh, gun people. Of course, two police officers were shot in Philadelphia on the 4th of July, but he's not going to spend all his time worrying about guns. I am I'm always, I'm concerned every single day. There's not an event or a day where I don't lay on my back at night, look at the ceiling, and wonder, worry about stuff. So everything we have in the city uh, at, over the last seven years, I worry about. I don't enjoy Fourth of July. I don't enjoy the the, the Democratic National Convention. I didn't enjoy the the um, um, uh, NFL draft. I'm waiting for something bad to happen all the time. So it's I'll be happy when I'm not here, when I'm not mayor, and I can enjoy some stuff. I think the people of Philadelphia might be happier about that as well. But this, of course, ties into the biggest story of the day, the shooting that took place in Illinois. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Always a pleasure, guys. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Six people dead, a shooter in custody, and now knowing that the firearm was legally obtained. The mayor of the town, Highland Park, actually ran against the suspect's father in 2019, beating him in that race for mayor. What do we know about this 22-year-old? Well, not a kid, but certainly had uh, visions of, uh, I guess, a big life and a a rapper, or so uh, was claimed, and videos that seem to highlight the idea of a school shooting. Videos that seem to revel in this. From a rooftop. From a rooftop. Shooting at the parade below. Six people dead. What what do we take from this? Well, we know that those people who are constantly in the camp of curtailing the rights of the American people will say, see, this is, this is why we need to get rid of um, guns in the U.S. If the gun was obtained legally, what new law would you like to have is the question. By the way, 47 people injured in that shooting. If, indeed, the law was followed, what new law makes this better? And if the law wasn't followed, why do we think laws make it better? 
I am not trying to have a circular conversation. Rather, I'm trying to engage in a line of thought, a theory, a philosophy on what it is we saw and what it is that we're seeing. What we're seeing, what makes somebody want to take a firearm up to a rooftop and then fire on people he doesn't know below. This is, this is the question before us. So I've given you now what is known to the extent that I'm willing to share these things on air. I don't do names. I think you guys know that by now. I'm not about to get into the speculation of this, that, or the other. I can only go by what it is we know thus far. And what we know thus far is that there is never a moment where a gun grabber isn't wanting to grab the gun. We know that the Highland Park shooters of Highland Park, Illinois, was known to law enforcement. Matt Vespa reporting from townhall.com. There seems to be this never-ending number of people where, who are known to law enforcement, yet what are you going to do? Is this a place where we have to start looking at what other laws there should be? Well, isn't that the, the argument for red flag laws? But red flag laws very often get used in a way to take away the rights of law-abiding people. Then you get conversations like this at CNN where the great FBI liar Andrew McCabe is questioning the efficacy of red flag laws. Uh, we did just learn, Andy, that law enforcement officials are going to brief, going to update the public in the next hour on the status of the investigation. One of the things we haven't heard yet is if this person of interest who was taken into custody last night has been charged yet. That's obviously something that you would assume is likely. Also, we could learn more about possible motivations. Going through these videos, we know that this individual has posted. What would they be looking for there, Andy? So, so they're looking first, John, for evidence of planning, of intent, uh, how long he was thinking about staging this attack. They are, of course, also looking for other people who may have helped him in his preparation or in execution of the attack, maybe supplied him with a weapon or provided him with planning assistance, or just people who knew what he was all about. You know, I think the heart of what we've been talking about a lot lately with these red flag laws. So, you know, there's been a lot of excitement over the fact that the recent uh, national legislation provides incentive to the states to institute red flag laws. Well, if we have a situ- and yet another situation where we have a mass shooter who was putting out plenty of signals that possibly his network of associates and family knew about, but yet no word was ever passed on to law, law enforcement, really calls into question how effective can these red flag laws possibly be. Now, uh, far be it from me to agree with Andrew McCabe, a guy who lied to the FBI and lied about his fellow agents, uh, but there is a conversation to be had about the efficacy of red flag laws if people see somebody who has a problem and don't do anything about it. Having somebody adjudicated mentally unfit is a big measure and a big deal. You can't just go about taking away people's rights. But if you're known to law enforcement, they know that you're somebody who engages in activities or, or has issues or has been re- reported 
on more than one occasion. Well, and they don't act. Is this the fault of the police for not acting, or is this the fault of a family for not acting? Can a family be held to account? There is a lot here. And believe me when I say, while I watch this in horror, I take a look at those people who were being shot at and realized that this was Illinois, and what chance did they have to return fire to make this stop? Now, this guy's on a rooftop. I'm not even saying they could have. I am making the argument that a society that doesn't want to arm the populace is a society that is a problem. It's a society where you definitely have less chances. You have less chances for any type of survival. You need to be able to, to the best of your ability, respond. And that's not given... In Illinois, and a lot of people, they are they are quite all right, quite all right with not having the ability to respond. I am not one of them. So what are we going to learn more about this guy? Well, we already know the videos out there. We already know uh, that he has videos where he was um, including depictions of mass murder and uh, school shootings and things like that. We know this guy's got a story. His political affiliation, well, wait for it. There's already some stories out there. But I, I, don't, have, uh, I don't have confirmation on the affiliation, so I'm not going down the road. The road I'll go down with you is the people who want to put an end to you and I being able to lawfully carry a weapon. Those are the people who also need to be fought. The society that has kids so broken that we engage these kinds of shootings, well, that's something we can work together on as well. That's the latest there. I've got more for you. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So the Dow is down 579. It's been down over 600. The NASDAQ is down just 25. Recession, recession, recession is the story. And a weird, I don't know how this connects. Someone's got to be able to explain this to me better. Barrel prices, barrels of oil, are down. Brent crude's at 103. West Texas Intermediate is down under 100. It's at 99.22. Um, I don't. I don't understand. I mean, Brent is down 12, 10 bucks today. West Texas is down nine something today. Why? What don't I understand? What am I missing about oil prices here? And how it connects. Because I would think the barrel prices going up would be an inflationary issue. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Someone's got a better mind than I do. I'm, I'm all about the listening, folks. All uh, uh, about it. Don Uvalde, the police chief there, 
Pete Arredondo has resigned his position as member of the Uvalde City Council. He had just been elected. He was just sworn in soon after the shooting. It is in the best interest of the community to step down as member of the City Council for District 3. I feel this is the best decision for Uvalde. The mayor, the City Council, and the city staff must continue to move forward without distractions. He is still trying to say that he wasn't in charge when the shooting took place and 19 children and two adults were murdered? I I don't know how you think that you're going to, you know, convince anybody of such a thing. Meanwhile, he uh, is not resigning from his position of at the Evalde Consolidated Independent School District. So he's going to keep that gig where he failed. I mean, how else do you... He didn't fail. How else did you say it? How else could you possibly say it? He failed. Now, this ties into a very interesting story, and Kyle, I appreciate you sharing the, the tweet with me from Bill Malugan over at uh, Fox. Several Texas counties will hold a press conference in Brackettville, Texas, later today where they plan to declare an invasion at the border. I think this is very, very interesting because there is nobody more than I in all of radio or anywhere else who discusses and quotes Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. He is told uh, that they plan to reference Article 4, Section 4, which guarantees states federal protection from invasion. Here it is. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. Put down riots. Handle invaders at the border with force, deadly most probably, and then leave the bodies there as a warning to everyone else. Oh, I'm sorry, we, were, were you not expecting something that direct and focused? Because I really don't have any other speed. Article 4, Section 4 is not ambiguous. Protect each of them against invasion. Yes, protecting against invasion. Now, the part that I guess you could say is ambiguous is Define invasion. Does it have to be a military marching in red coats and single file lines, holding weapons and barking out orders? Are we sure that's what an invasion is? Because we're we are in this incredible, incredible bit of word manipulation. Invasion is not invasion. And the right of the people to keep, to keep and bear arms should not be infringed could mean infringing on the right of the people to keep and bear arms. It's special. It really is. The nonsense, the madness, the craziness. It's something special, kids. But I, I, I wondered when this was going to... When was this going to come into play? When were states going to start acting upon this? Forcing the government to respond and to deal with it. When you have people crossing the border, destroying property, taking lives, um, 
de- uh, doing what is happening. I was going to say damaging property twice, and I realized, hey, I'm better than that. Why can't they make a claim? Why should they have to suffer and take it? There are some weird things that happen with border uh, uh, cities and, and, and border residents. Like somehow their rights should be curtailed. It, it, it seems irrational to me that somebody who lives on the U.S. border should just have to be, should be told, you know what, you just have to deal with it. Why would you have to deal with such a thing? What did they do wrong that they have to deal with such a thing? Because they chose to live a certain place? If you live uh, in Michigan, you deal with more snow than in Florida. It's hard to complain about the snow if you live in Michigan. But if you live in the United States and you're not protected by the United States, well, that's because you chose to live there. Is a weird take. Now, if you argue their local municipality doesn't deal in in safety and security, well, you could then move. But this is a conversation about the federal government. And the guarantee of a Republican form of government and a guarantee against invasion. Don't they get to decide? I argue that the president gets to decide immigration policy. But the president can't decide immigration policy that's actually an invasion. Then the president is in conflict with the Constitution, and the Constitution reigns supreme. The end. What's really weird is that we live in a time where an invasion could take place, and the country's like, eh. The president doesn't seem to actually care. This administration doesn't care. This party does not seem to care. Not because I say so, but because they do. So I'm very curious to see how this all works out. I want to see how this all plays. And and I I hope they make the claim. I really and truly do. Can't wait. Cannot wait to bring that uh, to you. In the meantime, the cultural disconnect, the cultural collapse that we're seeing how do we deal with this how do we save ourselves from it michael walsh the author of last stands the fiery angel and uh, devil's uh, a pleasure palace he'll be with us to break this all down keep it here this is tony katz today On Facebook, one of the few good things I've seen on Facebook recently, I came across a post from Michael Walsh. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, guys. Always a pleasure to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The post from Michael was about his book called Last Stands. It's a really interesting book, Why Men Fight When All is Lost. Now, he's uh, the author of of many books uh, about culture and about Western civilization and about the moves and maneuvers to usurp 
what works because you can't destroy the nation without destroying institutions, without destroying the norms. That's how you do it. You create a rot that builds and grows. He writes about this in The Devil's Pleasure Palace. He writes about this at The Fiery Angel, uh, in his book, The Fiery Angel. And his, his post was about people misinterpreting the lessons of Last Dance. And he relates it to President Trump and the loss of the 2020 election. Going through a series of uh, pieces of history where losses lead to victories and getting into a conversation, as I have often discussed with you, that idol worship is a very, very bad idea. But the lessons of people who have done things are sometimes extremely important and that other people take them on in order to be able to do better. So we see that, at least I do, as, as we watch a cultural rot around the insanity over Roe v. Wade, a cultural rot around the Second uh, Amendment where the state of New York is trying every end around in the world to ensure you can't engage firearms, blaming you, a law-abiding citizen, for what people do in Illinois or anywhere else, that you also have a, a radicalness happening around the idea of cult of personality as opposed to lessons a personality can teach. Michael Walsh joins us uh, right now. You can find his work at thepipeline.org uh, and also his latest book, Against the Great Reset, 18 Theses, Contra the New World Order, a book that he put together and edited. That's available at Amazon.com uh, and soon will be available wherever fine books are, are, are sold. Your your argument in Last Stands, I want to start with this and then move into to culture more more generally, Michael. Your argument is, is is that there is something that is to be learned in the stand itself that allows for victory's future, and there seems to be a part of, we'll call, let's just say, the political right, the Republican Party, however you want to say it, that is much less interested in learning lessons and how it moves us forward. Uh, wow, that's a that's a lot to address in a in a in a short blog post and even a short radio interview, Tony. But thank you for having me on. Um, Yes, I expanded that blog post on Facebook uh, into a piece that ran yesterday. It's proving to be as controversial as that blog post. It was my weekly column, which happened to fall on the 4th of July, and it's called Winter and the 4th of July. So for those of us, uh, those of uh, the audience who are encountering the subject for the first time after we talk, they can go on the-pipeline.org and read the post right there, winter and the 4th of July. And it's about the, the wrong lessons that I'm seeing that have been learned from last dance. And to put it very simply, I am, as you know, Tony, uh, an advocate that President Trump should not run again in 2024 and that Ron DeSantis should be the candidate, that DeSantis, in my opinion, and I speak as not a never-Trumper. I'm being accused of someone who hated Trump from the beginning, which you know is not true. And uh, again, people can go back to the New York Post and read all the columns I wrote during the Trump campaign because I, I covered that campaign for the New York Post. They were very favorable to Trump. And in fact, I was one of the two people on planet Earth who predicted that he would win that 2020 election, me and Selena Zito standing alone against the naysayers. But that said, I believe uh, that defeat uh, is... It's unfortunately final. There will be no Trump restoration. 
He should not have been. The election should not have been overturned. Uh, it's come out right as bitter a loss as it is. And I understand I'm being called every name in the book this morning, which is a great thing to wake up to. Uh, but I do believe that we have to learn the lesson, which is not you keep fighting uh, and then you lose and your country is destroyed and you're wiped off the face of the earth, as many people uh, have gone down. But you keep fighting smart so you can come back from a defeat. And those citations you mentioned earlier, uh, and that I mentioned in last stands, the Greeks at Thermopylae, the Romans at Cannae, um, the Hungarians at Sigetvar, the U.S. Army after Custer's last stand. In each one of these cases, the Russians at Stalingrad, they won the war. That's the point. They won the war. And for us to win the war against the left, which we must do, and I'm not advocating we don't, I've devoted my entire career to this, 50 years this year, in fact, uh, we have to fight smart. We have to replace a general when the previous general has lost. And Trump, unfortunately, lost that 2020 election. I don't want to hear about 2,000 mules. I don't want to hear about ballots. I don't want to. The Democrats do that. Every single election in the history of this country, you can go back and read Plunkett of Tammany Hall and learn how they did it in the early 20th century. Uh, what we have to do is fix the laws that were changed because of the COVID hoax, and that's what it was, and restore the norms of our system and be vigilant. Because, yes, will they try to treat? They'll try to treat if your little dog Toto is running for president. They can't help themselves. But I think we need a better general, and that's what I'm advocating. So, but I, I read it, and and being somebody who has been discussing Trump as we don't need the man, we need the lessons. Because I am not yeah. interested in idol worship. Idol worship doesn't move me. I think one of the great examples you give going back uh, 159 years ago to the weekend yeah. was Grant uh -huh. losing the battle at Shiloh, losing almost losing his command and then to yeah. capture Vicksburg. And and so if I was hoping you would just do a little bit of that history lesson about like that's a that's a great example of an unbelievably flawed guy, an unbelievably uh, irritating to a lot of people uh, guy, but was the right person for the right moment as Trump was for 2017 through 21. That's absolutely correct. I, I, uh, Ulysses Grant, I think, is the greatest American who ever lived, and I followed, uh, uh, studied him very carefully, both for that chapter and for the book I'm working on now. To put it in perspective, in April of 1862, the Union was already on its back foot. It had lost uh, at the Battle of Bull Run. It had lost everywhere. Grant was a, a, a drunk and a washout from the Army who came back to the Army because they needed every available person they could have. Because he had gone to West Point, because he was a commissioned officer, he, he formed a unit, and he was in the field uh, by early spring of 1862, and he ran into the Confederates under their very best general. I don't want to hear a word about Robert E. Lee, who is the most overrated general in American history. Grant ran into their best general, Albert Sidney Johnston, at Shiloh and got whopped. He got beat from top to bottom on the first day of Shiloh. He and William Tecumseh Sherman, they were surprised by the Confederate attack. They had brushed it off. The Confederates attacked in vast numbers, drove them all the way to the edge of the Tennessee River. I was there a year ago today, in fact, uh, to see that battlefield. And Grant managed to rally 
He held his, he held fast. He counterattacked on day two, which is exactly what he said he was going to do to Sherman, and they drove the Confederates back. Grant almost lost that battle. If he had lost that battle, you'd have never heard of Grant, and you'd never have heard of Sherman. Uh, even though he won it, it was at a terrible cost for the time. No one knew how bloody the Civil War was going to get. Uh, the northern newspapers howled for his head. The northern newspapers, like the journalists of today, were always anti-American. Throughout the war, they openly rooted for the South. So Grant, in fact, was relieved of his command for a while and put on ice. We almost lost Grant to Shiloh. And yet, a year later, on July 4th, he captures the southern citadel of Vicksburg, one of the most brilliant military campaigns ever devised. And on the same day, July 4th, the Battle of Gettysburg ends, and George Meade has held off Lee's army, thanks to Lee's incredibly stupid idea of sending his men charging across an open field into the teeth of Union cannon fire, and that's what we know of today as Pickett's charge. So the, the North, which was ready to quit, finally had two great victories. And as I point out, it still took uh, Sherman's capture of Atlanta in the election year of 1864 to make sure that Lincoln won that election. So it was a very near rough thing, but we didn't give up. We won the battle and we won the war. Talking to Michael Walsh, author and columnist. You can read his columns, uh, the latest, Winter and the Fourth of July, at the pipeline, v-pipeline.org. And you can pre-order Against the Great Reset, 18 Theses Contra the New World Order at Amazon.com. I think one of the examples of learning the lessons and not engaging in idol worship comes from the political left. Because they do a remarkably good job, Michael, of cycling through who their new person up is. You never heard yeah. of Beto O'Rourke. Then Beto O'Rourke was the single most important person in the world going up against Ted Cruz until he lost. And then Stacey Abrams is the single most important person yeah. that you ever heard of. They can move it through. Why can't the right do this? You know, it's interesting. They When their guys get wounded, they just shoot them. They don't even try to <laughs> pick them up and, and take them to the hospital. Bang, you know, that's... That's the end of it. Uh, but they do prep and they do telegraph. You will recall the election in which John Kerry was nominated for president. Who gave that nominating speech? Somebody you never heard of, Barack Obama. And I looked at that and I saw uh, Obama and I said, this is the guy they will nominate the next presidential election. They do that. Why are we fighting this dead-end battle to... Do what with Donald Trump? Assuage his ego? He's going to be 78 years old at the time of the next election. Isn't one geriatric president who cannot finish the sentence coherently enough? I hate to sound so harsh, but this is a fight, boys and girls, and, and there is no time for sentiment. There's no time for emotion. There's no time for I was robbed. You run a campaign on I was robbed in 24, you're going to lose again. And we have to wake up. And people like you and people like me have to, at the cost of getting a great deal of appropriate sometimes, have to tell our audiences this is the reality of the situation. Face it. And again, at every last hand, they knew what they were doing. They, they knew what the reality was. And they knew if they could just hold them long enough, they would win. Yes, Custer got wiped out, but not all of Custer. The entire 7th Cavalry didn't get wiped out. Most of it fought a brilliant defensive battle 
against the Sioux after Custer, Custer's three uh, platoons were wiped out, uh, up on top of what's now called Reno Hill. And that was a brilliant, brilliant fight back, and it broke the power of the Sioux. They never again gathered that large an army, and that was the end of the Sioux. So they, they, they lost by winning against Custer. It's uh, what the Romans, uh, in, who were fighting the Greeks at the time, call a Pyrrhic victory, that you win, 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 and eventually you lose. Same thing, Hannibal did the same thing. Eventually, the Romans took a beating at Cannae like nobody ever did. They lost 50 to 75,000 men in one day, killed by swords. Can you imagine how long that took and how bloody that was? And yet they ran him to ground a few years later, and that was the end of Hannibal. And that was the beginning of the Roman Empire. So don't give up hope, but look forward. Fight the next battle, not the last one. Before I let you go, the idea of, of hope and, and looking towards the next battle, um, one of the things that you... Uh, a term you coined and that I quote improperly all the time, they never stop, they never sleep, they never quit, is right. is, the, is the political left. It's constant and it's consistent. And after seeing the New York uh, Pistol and Rifle uh, uh, Club, their association versus Bruin, uh, the overturning yeah. of Roe v. Wade, the conversation about Maine and, and how you have to uh, be able to provide the dollars that go to students who want to go to religious institutions, the answer is, and the filibuster, which President Biden has come out in favor of, and yeah. as, as a follow-up, pack the courts, which is something they've always believed in, this destruction of the institution and really the yeah. proactive speaking of the institution shouldn't be trusted it's illegitimate to hell with these people etc uh this has always been the desire they're just now well i still have about 60 seconds michael they're just now completely willing to say we want to burn it all down well they they, you you saw the the poster uh, f the fourth that the democrats came out with yesterday npr for the first time in 30 years national propaganda radio did not read the Declaration of Independence. They don't like the Declaration of Independence. It's racist. It's mean. It's sexist. It's not equity. It's shut up. These, these people are showing you who they are, and you have to face the fact. They are not your friends. They may be your neighbors, but they are not your friends. Michael Walsh is his name. The book, Against the Great Reset, 18 Theses Contra the New World Order. Uh, I, I I have my book getting ordered uh, today. There are some of these people who I have uh, had the pleasure of working with who are in this book, like James Polis, who I think is one of the, the great untapped minds or unappreciated minds uh, out there, and the latest columns from Michael Walsh at the pipeline, the-pipeline.org. Michael, it's always a pleasure to have a chance to talk to you. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So Adele, she sings. She's rather good. She has fans angry at her. Why? She lost weight. This happened to that actress. Oh, I forget her name. She's on some NBC show. She lost weight. You know what they told her? You're no longer a role model. Now Adele loses weight because it makes some young fans feel like their own bodies weren't good enough. This is the disaster. 
This is the this is the horror that we've created for children. Your worth comes from somebody else being unhappy about themselves, but they should stay unhappy with themselves to make you feel better. You have to be comfortable with you. You're not comfortable with you because in comparison to somebody else, you're okay. And if somebody else loses weight or somebody else does whatever, they've done that for them to better their life. Oh, did they did they fall into some kind of trap where they were just, you know, doing it for 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 the man? Losing weight is a good thing if you're somebody who wants to lose weight. Your whole existence is because somebody else is fat and you feel better about yourself. You don't feel good about yourself. So do something about that to the extent that you can. Don't blame Adele. That's crazy. I'm Tony Katz.